we're having a special service today um, that the church doesn't often get to do. Matter of fact, there are probably some churches who've never done it, which is unfortunate. This is, a, this is a, an awesome opportunity we have as a church to come together and to, to set apart one of our own for a life of ministry. And, and Sean Ratcliffe, uh, he's been a part of this church for quite a while, and uh, we've hired him on as our student minister, and he's been working with us full-time um, since really beginning of the year, but he's been actually doing a lot of stuff for years here with our children's ministry and our youth ministry and our men's ministry and sometimes even with our women's ministry. I don't know how you get into that, but, but he does. He, he, he finds ways to do all kinds of things. I mean, he's... Yeah, you, yeah okay. That's Okay. But we, he, he's, he's got such a servant's heart, and one of the things that, you know, you don't realize is it takes a servant's heart to be a servant of Christ. And uh, so we're going to set Sean apart today as we kind of move through this. Um, but before we do that, I, I want to just kind of uh, share with you a little bit about the ministry. Um, back in 1957, at the Brethren Church in Sarasota, Florida, a lot of churches do, do services and ceremonies and ordination things and all kinds of stuff. Well, this church had purchased some property, and they were getting ready to, to build, and so they were going to have a big ceremony, a big celebration with the church. And, and normally when you do these groundbreaking ceremonies, everybody gets, not everybody, just a select few get a shovel. And sometimes they're gold shovels, you know, and they dig down into the dirt and turn the soil over. And then the, the, the ceremony begins. Well, this Brethren Church in Sarasota decided that they'd read what Jesus had said, and he said, take my yoke upon you. And so they thought, ah, this will be interesting. Instead of giving the shovel, why don't we get the harness and a plow, a one-horse plow, and we can till up that ground that way. And so they decided they'd take a couple of their big, strong young men, and they would hook them up to this harness, and they would have them turn that soil over. Um, and Sean's a big, young, strong man, so we thought about doing that to him, but that's not going to (laughs) happen. So uh, what they did was these two fellows got there, and as they harnessed themselves up and they said, okay, go, they they couldn't budge it. Man, that plow was in the ground. And so then they, uh, some of the other leaders, uh, and and got a hold of that plow and, and, and started trying to pull, and it wasn't budging. Eventually, Sunday school teachers and other people, and finally the whole congregation had connected a rope to it. Now they're all hanging on it, and they start to pull. And finally, when they all were pulling together, they dug through the ground. You know, and that, to me, that's important because ministry, sometimes we think it's the minister's job, and he's got to do it. But that's not the way it is. It, it takes all of us together the body of Christ pulling to accomplish what seemingly can be impossible for one or two men so when we join together. So we're, we are celebrating a togetherness as a body of Christ today as we set Sean apart and letting him know he's not alone. We know that ministry is important because it's, it's, it's gifted to us by God, but it takes more people than just the one. It takes all of us together. Now, so what does it take to have an effective and a successful ministry? And I thought about this, and, and I thought Paul says some things in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and if you open your Bibles there, you'll, you'll find that text. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul says some things about ministry. And I started looking back and thinking, okay, ministers that I've known and over the 35 years that I've been in ministry, what is that like? 
And so I have just, just five things that I think are important. So I'm going to kind of talk with you all, but I'm also going to talk with Sean because this is his charge, this is his challenge from us as a congregation. Well, the first thing for an effective ministry is this. Effective ministry emerges out of a recognition that it is given by God. It's nothing that we can take on ourselves. It's given by God. So 2 Corinthians 4.1 says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God... We do not lose heart. And Paul recognizes that the ministry he's got is because God gave it to him. Christ interrupted his trip to Damascus and told him, you're going to serve me now. And it's something that he interrupts our life as well. And Sean's life has been interrupted because God wants to use him in a powerful way. So ministry is not something that we take on our own accord. It's something that is given to us by God, and, and, and God enables us to carry out His desires. Now, a lot of churches set apart people for ministry, but it is to God that, that we ultimately are responsible to, not just the church. He's the one who calls and confirms. He's the one who establishes and empowers. He's the one that gifts and guarantees. And without God's backing, no ministry will be effective. Matter of fact, it's no different than any other vocation out there, except if God is in it, and then it's something special. So, to have a truly effective ministry, a God-blessed ministry, we must always bear in mind where that ministry comes from, and it comes from God. Now, if we take that kind of perspective, it'll protect us from ever thinking that this is my ministry, this is my church, and I'm the one who's organizing it and ordering it and doing everything about it. But really, when we have the kind of perspective that's probable from God's perspective, then it becomes His. But we're still going to be tempted, and I think the longer you're in a ministry or you're at a church or your, your ministry that you're doing is, is successful, that we have a tendency to think that, hey, I'm pretty good. But that's not what it is. You remove God from it, and it's going to fail. So, Sean, I want to challenge you. Never, ever let that happen. Yes, Recognize it's always gifted from God. The second thing that's going to make an effective ministry is this, that, that the effective ministry occurs out of a recognition that it's given out of God's mercy. That's what he tells us there in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, he says therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God... We do not lose heart. Mercy is important because none of us deserve it. None of us have earned the right to have the position of ministry at all. But God looks upon us, and in his mercy, he says, I'm going to use you. I'm going I'm to make this wonderful through you. So Sean has worked hard through the years with this church. He's, he's, he's jumped feet first into this and has just really worked hard. He's been in our children's ministry, which, by the way, we're needing children's people helping out and volunteering, you know, but he's done that for years. But we're also, he's worked with our teens and our student ministry. He, he's worked with our men's ministry, and as I said earlier, he's even worked in the women's ministry, helping to prepare things for him. So he's, he's got his hands on a lot of things. And if you think about it, there are even times that he does things that we don't even consider would be ministry. It was just a few weeks back, he was up crawling through our attic, sweating like crazy, getting himself in positions where he didn't think he'd going to get out, running wire for our security system. Ministry calls you to go in a lot of places you never thought you'd go. <laughs> I'll teach you that in school. <laughs> well... From a human perspective, we may think that Sean deserves it because he's worked hard here. Not only that, but he has also gone to school and he has earned a college degree in ministry. 
And so we say, hey, he earns the right to do this. You know, he's prepared, but that's not it. We may think we deserve it, but from heaven's perspective, none of us deserve it. We don't deserve it because he falls short, maybe not as far as I fall or as you fall, but we all fall. We all fail. We miss the mark when it comes to living a righteous and a holy life. And based on heaven's standards, there is no minister that is deserving of his calling. The only reason any of us have a ministry is because it's been given us to the, by the Lord through his mercy. And so we rely on him. And out of his mercy that he saved you with, we affirm the truth all the time that it's only through him. But don't forget, and especially as you begin to see God's blessing and fruit in your ministry, that God's the one who chose you. Sean, no matter how much success that you achieve, no matter how, how large of a ministry you may lead, no matter how famous your name may become, because there are guys, we all know their names, don't we? It wouldn't be great to know Sean is making that name. Uh, no. It'd be great to know that he is making the name of Jesus famous. No matter how much the people respect him, Never assume that you deserve it, because we don't. And, and for none of us would be possible apart from the mercy of God which he has shown each one of us. Now, what really is important about these first two principles is this. If we continue to focus on those things, they will keep us humble. And that's important. You've got to have a humble heart, because God opposes the proud, the arrogant, the haughty. But he gives grace to the humble. And believe me, our ministries need a lot of grace because we're leading them. If the only reason you have a ministry to begin with is because God has given to you and he's given it to you out of his mercy, which means you don't deserve it, then all that should keep our egos in check as long as we remember that. Now the third thing is this, to have an effective ministry, it necessitates the highest level of integrity. And there's a problem in our world with integrity today. And unfortunately, it's even in the church. But listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse, verse 2. He says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul is highlighting in this little verse here three areas, three, three practical principles of this integrity that I think not only Sean, but myself and Alan and Rob and anybody who's going to choose to live a life of ministry, but it really goes beyond that. It, it should be something for each and every one of us. So Paul says, you need to have integrity in your private life. And so he makes this statement, we've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. What Paul is referring to there are those secret immoralities, the hypocrisies, the, the sins that are hidden deep down within us that we think nobody knows about. And we can hide away and we can have our selfishness there and we think we're in the clear. But we can't be that way, because God sees it, He understands, and He knows it. And somehow, be sure, somebody will find it out, and they will plaster it all over every newspaper and television show out there. You see, ministers are not immune from secret sins and hypocrisy. We hear more and more tragic stories in our day of ministers who've fallen into sin. And Paul declared that he had to renounce such things in his own life. 
And he fought to maintain a life of integrity. And Sean, in our day and age, it's going to require a fight daily. But one of the best ways to win that fight is to daily be in the Word of God. To, to study it, to read it, to meditate upon it, to memorize it, to hold it yourself accountable to it daily. That's important. I mean, you, you, you've got to spend so much time in here that it becomes your life. Because it is evidenced in how you live by what you put in. You know, and, and when we think about this, sometimes we let the busyness of ministry crowd out our personal devotional time. And we should not do that. One of the unique things that Sean does, I don't know if you all are aware of it, but every day he posts on our youth group's 212 Facebook site a video a lesson of where he's been studying in the scriptures and he shares with them it may be five minutes or it may be 25 minutes but he shares with them what's on his heart and what he's gleaming from the scriptures and that's important because not only is he studying himself but he's showing it he's holding himself accountable to that but he's also making it known to his students who are watching and listening and reading and and being a part of that you've got to continue that on a daily basis making sure yourself that you're in the word because otherwise you'll become vulnerable Second, he says, integrity in your public life and ministry. That's where he says, refusing to practice cunning. Now, that, that word cunning is an interesting word because, you, you see, every, every, well, not that word, it's the next word I'll look at. Every minister wants to be able to reach people, but he wants to see growth in terms of numbers a lot of times. Well, our youth group's only got, you know, 40. That group over got 140. That youth group's got over 200. We, we look at numbers, and we think, what am I doing wrong? But it's not about the numbers game. It's about the heart of the individuals. I remember one time taking one student to Christ in Youth Conference. One student. I sat down with Rich Mullins. He says, I can't believe you're here with one kid. I said, well, he needed to come. He said, both ministers wouldn't do that. They'd want to make sure everybody came, but you came with one. And Sean, that's the thing you need to do. It's about the one. It's not about the multitude. It's about the one. And so focus on that because your public life and ministry is going to be viewed by one and by multitudes. And you're going to face this, especially being a student minister. There's all kinds of, of little crafty, tricky, crazy ideas out there that people are trying to do to get the numbers. Preachers who are jumping out of airplanes, going up in air balloons, doing all kinds of things if we reach a certain number. You can use craftiness and creativeness, but don't make it about the numbers. Everything you do is to try to win some. That's why Paul says, I become all things to all men in order that I might win some. Not all, some. You can use your creativity, but don't let it cheapen the gospel in the name of Christ by copying what the world is doing. Otherwise, you become like our enemy who is very crafty. The third thing Paul says, integrity in the preaching of the Word of God. He says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. Now that word tamper, that's the one I was going to mention about earlier. Tamper is a word that is used in the Greek to describe the diluting of wine with water. So it looks like you've got a lot more, but the reality is you're giving them more water. It's not pure. And then you sell it as if it is pure. And so he's telling us, do not dilute the word of God so that the itching ears of the people around you get to hear what they want to hear. we got too many churches today that are acknowledging that sin is no longer sin, but it's just a lifestyle. And it's your choice to be that way. 
We can't. The Word of God speaks for itself and let it speak. You see, the temptation is always there to manipulate the gospel to make it more appealing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. He said that this tampering is cheap grace. You don't ever want to put cheap grace out there. Paul goes on to say, he says, by, by the open statement of the truth. And again, there are, there's no gimmicks. It's just plain truth, just a simple truth. He didn't speak with, with wise and persuasive words, he tells another church. He just simply spoke the truth, and that's what we need to do. C.S. Lewis said this. When he became a Christian, he did so, he said, as an intellectual agnostic. He said, when he came to Christ, however, he came as though he were dragging, dragged, kicking and screaming, darting his eyes around the room in every direction, trying to escape. And his mind was fighting all the way, but the conscience had already succumbed to the Word of God. He said that, that the night he came to Christ, he was most reluctant convert in all of England, but he came because his conscience had been reached. And the truth does that. Now, the fourth thing for having an effective ministry is this. Focus on Jesus and not on yourself. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but is Jesus Christ. John Calvin said it this way. He said, he that would preach Christ alone must of necessity forget himself. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And what we do in ministry is definitely going to reflect Him. And if we're living a, a poor example, then they think of Christ as a poor example as well. We need to make Him attractive by how we live. And yet how tragic it is that Christians and ministers are tempted to drift from their focus off of Christ and they look at themselves one day when Jesus entered Jerusalem on this final week as he's preparing to go to the cross, we know that he came riding down the hill on the colt of a donkey and everybody was shouting and singing Hosanna in the highest and celebrating that he's the king of kings and, and they were a long-awaited Messiah that they've been waiting for. But there were some Greeks that were there in the midst of these Jews discovering everything that's going on. And they found Philip. And so in John 12, 21, they asked Philip this. It said these, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And I think that's important. People in this world, what they need to see is Jesus. And so don't miss the significance of those words. See, Sean, you need to preach Christ and preach Him as Lord. And there are a lot of ministers who preach Jesus, but they don't preach Him as Lord. They preach Him as their buddy. But He's Lord. He's King. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And we need to preach Him so that people can see Him. So I challenge you, preach Jesus as Lord so much that He is all they see. Finally, the fifth thing is this. Effective ministry requires being a servant. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So you're called to be a minister, and minister actually means servant. And ministry is service. And so we're called to give of ourselves as a servant to those that we are serving 
along with the Lord. He has called us to be this servant in the midst of a world in which we lived. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he said, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, it's, it's great to watch our kids follow Dad, and they, they want to act like Him and be like Him. We need to imitate Jesus that way. That people can see the way we walk is the way He walks. That our language would be the words that He would speak. That our compassion for other people would be the compassion of His heart rather than my own. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. So as you imitate Christ, always remember that you live to serve others. Paul put it this way. He said, It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I died to myself. When I'm buried into baptism into His name, and when I'm raised to a new life, it's not my life, it's His life. And so you don't live for yourself any longer. None of us do when we give our lives to Christ. We no longer belong to me. It's not about me at that point. It's about Him. But you're going to be held to a double standard now because you're teaching others. And God's going to hold you accountable to that. And so you need to humble yourself and be the servant of these people. I, I want to share with you a few wise words I was once told. If you can't stand the smell of sheep, don't be a shepherd. And it's important. The people that you're going to serve, some of them may be just a joy to be around. And others are going to keep running off. Others are going to make a mess. Others are going to bah over your, when you're trying to talk. <laughs> but you're here to serve them. Shepherds lead. They don't push. Notice Paul provides a motivation to do this in the last three words of this text here in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. It's for Jesus' sake. I mean, so there you have it. There are five principles to help you have an effective ministry. Quick, summarize my life, summarize Paul's life, and there it is. I hope it's a summary of yours, that you become a servant of Christ in all that you do. And I pray that you embrace the grace of God so that as years go by, you become a man after his own heart, and people recognize that. We're going to change into a little bit of different now. I'm going to incorporate you guys into this because we're going to have an ordination charge for Sean. And as we do this, there'll be scriptures up on the, t the screens that I'm going to want you to respond when it says congregation. That'll be you all. all right, I'm John. That'll be me. <laughs> all right. So throughout history, God has chosen different men to be his, 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 his minister, his servant. Noah, in, 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 a, in a world of total unrighteousness, which sometimes we think we're there, there was one man that caught God's attention, a man by the name of Noah. And amidst everybody, he saw Noah as the only one that he thought was righteous. And so he made him a minister to preach the gospel message that the world was coming to end unless they get their life straightened out. Well, that's not gospel. That's not good news. <laughs> that's, that's destruction. But through Noah and his faithfulness to God, his family was saved. And not only his family, but we were saved because we all are descendants of Noah. And through that also came Christ. So what a blessing it was. There was another man by the name of Abram who was 75 years old when God says, Hey, Abram, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pack up your head and out. Where am I going? I Don't worry about it. I'll show you. 
and they left. Abraham, by his faith, it was credited to him as righteous because he had this relationship with God. There was another, another fellow by the name of Moses. I mean, you talk about being set apart. He really was because everybody else his age was being murdered. All the boys that were under two years old were being killed. And his, his parents, because of their faithfulness to God, they hid him away for a while and they sent him down the Nile and he was saved. He was plucked up out of the water, placed in the house of his greatest enemy to live and to grow and eventually to come back and to redeem his people, to bring them out of the slavery of Egypt and to, to go with them into the wilderness that God was leading them and showing them and he was going to establish his covenant with these people. The first covenant that God was going to make with mankind and it was through this man Moses who, who felt he was inadequate as a leader because he stuttered. Because he had murder hanging over his head. And yet God used him in a mighty way. You need to be like a, like a Moses who, who, when it comes your day to die, God takes you up on a mountain and he buries you himself. Can you imagine that? Man, what a, what a relationship with God. What, what kind of ministry he had. He didn't get to go into the promised land. He got to go into the promised land. Jesus called 12 disciples. Later they're called apostles. And they were to establish the, the spreading of the gospel message around the world after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Those men he pulled apart and he set them apart for this first task of establishing the church. And through them, the world was going to find out about Jesus. And we have found out about him because of them. Their, their words have been kept for us in our Bible. And Jesus' words have been fashioned and, and, and put within the, the, the context of the script so that we, even today, 2,000 years later, can read it. We need to be like these men who are set apart by Christ to do ministry. So Sean has come today to formally be set apart for ministry. It's not a job. It's a life. And so I'm going to ask you as a congregation a few questions. We're going to kind of read through scriptures. The first one is this, in John 4, 35, it says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And then you all respond, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Then Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you respond, Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In Isaiah 6, 8, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I have heard the call of Christ, and in the words of Isaiah I respond, Here am I, send me. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he looked around and he said, the fields were white unto harvest. And he said, we need to pray that, that, that God sends out workers into that field. And he's found one here in Sean. A man who is willing to give up everything to work to bring people to Christ. He's commissioned the followers in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, when he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
now the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you because, he says, the fields are still white. They're white in the harvest. And so there are so many yet to come in to be a part of the kingdom of Christ. The church is still in need of individuals to enter full-time Christian ministry. And Sean has accepted that calling. Maybe one of you might down the road. So Sean, I'm going to ask you some questions. Do you believe that God has called you to such a ministry? I do. Have you thoughtfully and prayerfully considered the depth of commitment that you're now making, understanding the sacrifices that you will be asked to make? I have. Is your motive in becoming a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ one based solely upon bringing glory to Him? It is. Do you promise to remain doctrinally sound in teaching and preaching the Word of God? Do you promise to remain faithful to your bride and to the bride of Christ, His church? I do. Do you promise that to the best of your ability, you will perform the duties of a minister in a standard of excellence, in a spirit of humility, and always for the glory of Jesus Christ? I do. With a teachable spirit, do you promise to make yourself accountable to those who are leading you? I'd ask that the elders might come up at this time. We are blessed in this congregation to have four men that have been set apart as elders and leadership. We also have some other fellows that are on board as, as ministers on staff here. And uh, with Alan and Rob. And you have to understand, this is not my church, this is not Sean's church or Alan's church or Rob's church or, or your church, it's Christ's church. And there's different roles and different functions that each one of us play. And as you see us now being set apart in this ministry, these four men have been set apart as well to lead this congregation, to be spiritual guides for us on staff as well. So we work together, and they hold us accountable, and we hold them accountable each to the other so that, so that somehow, by the grace of God, this church is going to continue to grow and make a difference in our community for the kingdom of God. But one of the things that is special about this is, is God empowers them with ability that most of us don't have. Their prayers and the laying on of hands in unity upon someone such as Sean or myself there is a spirit-driven gift that they impart to him because of God's desire to use him. And so I need to ask them some questions as well. The Apostle Paul, he urged Timothy, his, uh, what we call a minister that's growing up under somebody else, another uh, Timothy, he said this in 1 Timothy 5.22, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. In other words, we're not supposed to be in such a hurry to put leadership within the church. And uh, to that end, I'm going to ask that you all would respond as I ask you the questions as well. Have you carefully considered the qualifications and abilities of Sean Ratcliffe and determined him to be thoroughly prepared to serve as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you work to maintain an accountable relationship with Sean in order to further equip his ministry skills as well as to encourage him in spirit? We will. And finally, 
do you now wish to formally ordain Sean Ratcliffe to the Christian ministry with all the privileges and responsibilities? Sean, I'd ask that you would kneel before us. We lay our hands on you. The elders are going to pray over you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the blessing that this church has been. Thank you for the blessing that Sean has been. Lord, we just ask now that you be with him as he moves forward. That you put a hedge of protection around his family that you continue to bless us through him, that we continue to grow your kingdom each as we do our part. Lord, we thank you for this building that we can come together and worship you. Father, I know that Sean is a great asset to us here. sent your servant Sean to this church. Father, we know that there are many great things ahead for him that you have planned. Father, just uh, continue to bless him and his family. Father, we thank you so much for this time, this opportunity to come and worship your name, Lord. We thank you for John and what he's done here. And we thank you for the leadership that Sean has been able to look up to. Lord, we pray that you will just bless Sean in this decision that him and his family are making, that you will go before them, that you will hold him accountable and in the integrity that he needs to have, Lord. Lord, we are so blessed that he's part of our family and this congregation. Father, we do thank you for what you've done in Sean's life. pray that, uh, God, that you would continue to bear your fruit in his life, that love and peace, patience, kindness that we read earlier, God, that you would bear that fruit in his life, God. God, we pray that you would use him to strengthen, encourage, and mature those who know you and to reach out to those who do not know you with the good news of what you've done for us, God. God, and we pray not only that you would, uh, not only that you would use him in our church and, and, and through our community, but, but also, God, that you would use him in his, in his own home to bless his family. We pray for Shanda and the kids. We thank you for them. And we pray uh, that you would bless and strengthen their marriage and their family, God, that you would use them together, that you would use Sean. And God, we pray again for us as a congregation that you would help us to support Sean and love and encourage him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.